Well, I hope you have all had a good holiday Thanksgiving weekend. We were uh, blessed to stay here, remain here in Jackson and not travel this year, which is a huge blessing. I love it when that happens. Uh, we hosted my, my father who lives in the Atlantic area. So he came up uh, on Tuesday and we've spent, he left yesterday. So we got to spend a lot of time with my dad. And uh, we all had uh, uh, dinner, turkey dinner over at Janie's parents' house, which was fantastic. And we, uh, we stuffed ourselves on Thanksgiving Day, but with the appropriate amount of gratitude for God's provision in our lives, of course. And we did slump into that sort of fabled turkey coma everyone talks about. But on Friday, we celebrated my son Isaac's 15th birthday, which was a big deal and really exciting in our home. And then everybody kind of went their own separate ways and did their own things. And my dad and I ended up in the living room just kind of looking at each other. Everybody else was busy. And so we did what men like to do when that happens. Watch TV. So we scrolled through all of the, the streaming services about, for about an hour to try to decide what we were going to watch. And uh, we, my, my dad kind of lit up, and I was like, I've been thinking about this movie lately. So we, we landed on watching uh, the 2003 film uh, Master and Commander. Have you seen this film? Fantastic movie. Highly recommend. Uh, starring Russell Crowe. Now, I'm not going to spoil it if you haven't seen this film. I was shocked to realize it's 20 years old. Um, but it's a, a story about a British naval ship and the captain, Russell Crowe, who is in charge of it. And it's during the Neo, I cannot say this, the Napoleon Wars, the Neopole, the Napoleon Wars, uh, early 1800s. Throughout the film, Captain Jack Aubrey must wrestle with difficult questions of leadership while maintaining the respect and morale of his men. He's so committed to his mission that he endangers the lives of his crew. Has he excelled the limits of his duty to king and country? Is he so stubborn and proud that he refuses to admit defeat? And I think if you strip away this time period and all the wooden battleships and the ocean, you have a basic question we all must answer. Who are we serving? Who are we serving? In Captain Lucky Jack's case, is he really serving his king and country? Or is he really serving himself? And he's asking this question throughout the story. And I think this is an appropriate question for us all as well on this Christ the King Sunday. And I would even say that it should be the central question of every life, of every human being. Because as we see in our readings, who we serve has eternal consequences, not just for ourselves, but for others as well. Now, I'd like to begin this evening by first acknowledging what I admitted to you last week. I accidentally had this week's reading read in last week's service, which is why you might be experiencing a little deja vu. Since I didn't address the text uh, in that service much last week, I take it as God's plan that he really wants us to wrestle with this text. 
So I'll also comment on the relationship between our Ezekiel 34 text and the gospel reading this evening. And to begin with, both readings use the shepherd-sheep analogy, which makes them an obvious pair to go with each other. Now, in context, the Ezekiel passage comes after a description of the shepherds of Israel. Rather than caring for the sheep, as they should have been, they ate and grew fat while the sheep languished. They, the, the, the shepherds of Israel, these were the religious leaders of Israel, they, uh, they grew fat. They covered themselves in wool and let the sheep freeze. They did not visit the sick sheep or bind their injuries. And we saw in our reading that they muddied up the waters so that the sheep had no clean water to drink. And the result is that the sheep, that is the children of Israel, were scattered. And once they were scattered, no one went to gather them back up. Thus, God promises to be the shepherd they were called to be. That's our Ezekiel passage. He will feed them. He will gather them. He will bind them. He will clothe them and comfort them and visit them. And this is exactly what we see happen in the gospel reading. But there's a twist, isn't there? It isn't the sheep that were fed. It was the sheep who did the feeding, isn't it? It isn't the sheep who were clothed and visited, but it was the sheep who clothed and visited others. So what's going on here? Well, our readings are a bit lengthy, but I want us to focus on the first few verses of our gospel passage. What we'll see in verse 31 is that Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. Look at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Now this passage that we read this evening is the climax of the preceding few chapters of Matthew's gospel. This is a change. So after this passage, we move into the, the, the final days of Christ's life on earth. And we read about, or a few weeks ago, we read about the wise and foolish virgins. And we heard the warning that we must be wise and prepare for the wedding feast of our bridegroom. Who's Christ? If I had not forgotten the readings last week, or gotten them, if I had gotten them correct, we would have read the parable of the, ta- the talents, where the lazy steward was cast into the outer darkness. Well, here Jesus pretty much abandons all parable-style teaching and says things pretty plainly. The Son of Man, that is the Messiah, or the Christ, is going to come at the end of history in glory with a whole bunch of angels for the great judgment. The Son of Man is Jesus. Then the Son of Man the tit- is a title, and that is his favorite title 
that he gives himself. And we see it in the prophet Daniel, who speaks of one like the Son of Man. And Jesus calls himself the Son of Man, rather than a Son of Man, or like a Son of Man. So make no mistake, Jesus is claiming Messiahship for himself. And at the end of history, Christ will come with the heavenly host to sit on his glorious throne. And this is allusion to both Jesus' kingship as well as his office of judge, which we read about in this passage. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, this image is a bit too unsophisticated for our day, isn't it? It's tent revival language meant to scare people into conversion. Well, there's no doubt that this has been, uh, this is terrifying imagery and that some traditions have used it to accomplish many fleshly purposes. Thinking of the uh, selling of indulgences, trying to get people out of purgatory, or boosting our baptism numbers and the amount of people who show up to our services. But we cannot dispense with Jesus' teaching here. However we might imagine the scene, we are told that it will occur, which is why we remember it every week in the Nicene Creed. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And here's the point. Every human being will be judged. Every human being will be judged. And Christ King Jesus makes the call. Look at verse 32. Before him will be gathered all nations, and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, one of the most heartbreaking moments in the film Master and Commander is the moment that Captain Aubrey must decide to detach a fallen mast on his ship that had fallen into the ocean. He had to detach it because it was weighing down the boat and the crew were going to drown. The entire, he was going to lose his entire ship and all of his crew. But the problem with that is, is when that mast fell, they lost a man overboard. And it was a great storm. And he was trying to swim to that mast that was hanging on by ropes to the ship. And that was his only lifeline to get back. And the decision had to be made. Does he cut that mast and leave that sailor out in the ocean? Or does he save the crew? Or does he, he, he try to leave that attached and hope that sailor gets back and not lose anyone? It's a tough decision. And you and I end up in situations, maybe not this dramatic, but we end up in situations like this all the time. Sometimes we lack the wisdom to be able to discern between right and wrong what we should do in any given situation. We must rely on whatever wisdom that we have and face the consequences. But this is not the case with the king. Jesus looks at people from all nations with no dilemma. He sorts the sheep from the goats without a bit of hesitation or fear. And that difference between the two is obvious to him. He makes the call. You and I cannot do this. 
had a seminary professor um, at Beeson Divinity School, one of my, my favorite lecturers. He's from Chattanooga, and he talks like he's from Chattanooga. He'd be very proud that you could recognize that he was from Chattanooga. And in my history and doctrine class, he was explaining, he said, the, you know, the problem is, he would stand up later, the problem is we need a scanner. We need a scanner. He said, well, this, is what, this is what we need to tell who's in and who's out, right? We need to be able to see who has faith and who doesn't, who's one of the chosen, who's not. We need a scanner. The problem is, he said, we don't have no scanner. We got no scanner. I, this is one of my lectures. My favorite lectures I will always remember. You see, we can't make that judgment. That's the point. But Christ, the king, can. And he makes the call. Now, one quick comment here before I move on. In previous passages, there does seem to be a direct address to the shepherds of Israel. To the Pharisees and the scribes. It kind of leads up to this point. He kind of has this pronouncement and judgment on the shepherds of Israel. And the Ezekiel passage also makes this clear. So there is a solemn pronouncement against the religious leaders of Israel. However, at the end of Matthew's record of Jesus' teaching here, we lose that national and ethnic peculiarity. Jesus says he will gather all nations. This is Jew and Gentile alike. So we're no longer just looking at hypocritical scribes or Pharisees. The image he gives us here is that there will be some Jewish goats among with some Gentile goats. Likewise, there will be Gentile sheep along with Jewish sheep. But here's the point. The king makes the call. So what's the difference? What separates the sheep from the goats? Look at verses 33 and 34. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, in biblical language, the right hand is the hand of strength. It's the hand of favor. You see this all throughout, especially the Psalms in the Old Testament. Now, my name is Benjamin which is translated, son of my right hand. This is supposed to be a compliment, I think, I hope. It means you, son, are my favorite, right? I sure hope my sisters are listening to this, to this sermon. So this is just a way of indicating God's favor on a particular group. Now, we don't like the sound of this, do we? We live in an egalitarian society, right? Which means that we don't like it when one group is favored over another. This is why everybody gets a trophy, right? So why does Jesus favor the sheep over the goats? Are they just his favorite? His darlings? Well, I think the answer lies in the next verse when Jesus says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Now, I know that we live in the South, 
And we like to go around blessing everybody's hearts, right? So what is a blessing? Why do we do that? Why do we go around blessing everybody's heart? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, in the most basic sense, being blessed is to be given a gift. It is to receive. A blessing is a gift. I have five children. They are blessings. They are gifts. Jesus says to the sheep that they have been blessed by his father. That is, they have been given something by the father, a gift. So does that mean that the goats were never given anything? Well, not exactly. Because blessing is more than giving a gift, right? A blessing is also the reception of a gift, receiving a gift. Now, there's this um, very obscure passage in the New Testament. Uh, You might know it. Uh, I doubt it. It's John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You see right there, the son is the gift given. The father gave his son. That is the gift given. The son is the blessing. And the difference between the sheep and the goats is not that the sheep were blessed and the goats were not. It's that the sheep received the gift offered to the sheep and the goats alike. The favor the sheep enjoy is not because the king shows favoritism, but because they received the gift generously offered to everyone. The blessed are those who have, been, who have received the gift of Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. And those who did not receive the gift will go away, Jesus says, to eternal punishment. Those are his words. They are not mine. Let's think about this word punishment for a second. Punishment is the, it's everything that you think of when you hear the word punishment. But it carries something that you might not think of. It carries with it the sense or idea of deprivation. Um, if, you were, if you grew up and you underwent discipline from your parents, or if you have children and you have to discipline your children, one of the ways that you discipline or were disciplined or might still be disciplined, is by being deprived of something, right? This is what being grounded is. You're deprived of the opportunity to go hang out with your friends or to use a device or whatever it is you're being deprived of. That's the case here. The goats have the gift. uh, They have the gift removed from them. It is offered. It is not received it is then deprived. So this is the uh, equivalent of what we call unrequited love or unreturned love. Have you ever loved someone so desperately who needed help but never would receive it? Have you ever been in that situation? It's heartbreaking. You could go out of your way to love another who never receives it. If that's ever happened to you, you know the deprivation that we're talking about. 
It is a consignment to self-destruction, which is exactly what the fate of the goats is. What this parable is telling us, what Jesus' teaching is telling us, is there will be a time when it is too late. Well, I mentioned earlier that God does become the good shepherd of his sheep in the gospel passage. And that rather than being clothed and fed and welcomed, the sheep are the ones who clothe and feed and welcome others. That is, the blessed, right, those who are blessed, become the blessers. This is the fulfillment of humanity's mandate. God told Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12 that he would bless Abraham. And not only that, but if you remember what Genesis 12 says and the promise that God made to Abraham, not only would God bless Abraham, but Abraham would be a blessing, right? And a blessing to who? All the nations. All the nations. This is the whole point of God's loving covenant with his people. This is the covenant language, and it means that to be blessed also means to bless. To be blessed is also to bless. And this is exactly what Israel's shepherds failed to do. They received the worldly blessings without blessing anyone else. They grew warm and fat to the negligence of those they were called to shepherd. They served themselves rather than their king. And this brings us back to the question, are we serving our king or serving ourselves? Maybe another way of putting this is, who is my king? Who is your king? Are you your king or is Christ your king? So I want to leave you with two things to think about this week when it comes to this text. It'll be good good questions for us to ponder as we enter into the season of Advent next week. And the first is this, Christ is your king. Christ is your king. No pastor, no priest, no clergy person, and certainly no public figure, either political or otherwise, is your king. Jesus Christ and him alone. The Ezekiel passage is a haunting passage for any clergy member, and especially for pastors, because it highlights how serious of a calling pastoral work is. Leaders will be judged more harshly than any of the other sheep. And I would contend that if we aren't careful, we very well may end up in the goat camp. But remember what God told Ezekiel. He did not say that he would give the sheep more competent shepherds. That's not what he said. Instead, he said that he himself would be their shepherd. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And you must always remember that. He is the good shepherd. And I must always remember that. So I tell you this for your benefit, but also for mine. I don't know a single pastor who doesn't struggle with a sort of Messiah complex of sorts. Seems to be a rite of passage or something that every pastor must learn. And that's this. We are not Jesus. 
No pastor, no clergy member is Jesus. And this means that there's a limit to being an under-shepherd of Jesus. And you've probably been in other churches and maybe even experienced some painful and even abusive behavior by other pastors. And I'm very sorry about that. There's no excuse for abuse or negligence. But I simply remind you, no pastor is your king. Jesus Christ is your king. And this doesn't mean that we shouldn't respect our pastors and clergy. On the contrary, St. Paul commands us to honor our pastors. What it does mean, though, is that pastors are limited. Shepherds, under-shepherds are limited. Even the best of them will let you down because they are not Jesus. They're not your king. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. And as a priest, the best that I can do is point you to your true king. So that's the first thing. Christ is your king. Here's the second and the final point. Listen very closely, very subtle. Christ is your king. It sounds like the previous point is because it is. But I want you to know that the self can be the worst tyrant in the world. The self can be the worst tyrant in the world. The self is never satisfied. It always wants more. It's never pleased with where it is or what it has or who loves it. It will always demand more and more and more. But the good shepherd is not like that. His yoke is easy, right? And his burden is light. What does that mean? Well, it means that your king is no tyrant. Your king is patient and kind. Your king does not boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Your king does not insist on his own way. He's not irritable or resentful. And here's the kicker. He keeps no record of wrong. But he rejoices in the truth. Friends, the self is a tyrant. The king is a shepherd. The self has an insatiable need to justify itself. The king justifies his people. The king must, uh, the self must achieve its own worth and acceptance. The king accepts and gives worth to his children. The self tries to grab at and attain, but the king simply gives himself for the sake of his children. And when you and I denounce our allegiance to ourselves and serve our lowly king, what do we find? We find a kingdom prepared for us, yet another undeserved and unearned gift to be received. And it is only in dying to ourselves that we find life in Jesus Christ and what we receive from him. We cannot give, we cannot help, but freely give to others, which is why we find the sheep to be the givers at the great judgment. So I leave you with the question, who is your king? 
you will know on that day who the king is. And until then, the question will always be, is he your king? Is he my king? And I tell you, beloved of God, Christ is your king. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ that you have given because of your love for us. Lord, help us to receive your son, Jesus Christ. Help us to die to ourselves and no longer serve ourselves, but to serve our lowly king. Who did not consider it something to be held on to and grasped to be equal with you, but humbled himself to a life of a servant and died on the cross for each of us. Lord, let us be so changed by this truth, so changed by serving you in this way, so blessed that we are also blessers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.